All right. A little better than first service. But I have to say there's like double the number of people because of the, the time change. Um, I notice a few faces is like, normally you're a first service person, you know. So, um, but I'm excited, the opportunity uh, to get to preach and um, speak. I think what really happened is Adam looked in the calendar and he said, spring forward happens March 8th. Hey, Andy, you want to preach on March 8th? Because um, nobody likes a grumpy Adam, so, you know. I wish I was joking, but, you know. <laughs> no, he has opportunity. He's got a trip that he did with Cal, special trip, and so we're excited for him to be able to experience that um, with him. So I'm excited. We've been talking about our five two essentials here around church. Five, our five two essentials is what we use in our ministry teams and um, some of our teaching about these essential things um, for a follower of Jesus, for a disciple. And to see growth happening through our lives and in our lives and in our faith. Um, these five essentials we, we see as key elements of all these areas where we need to continually be growing and moving forward. And so one nice program thing that's going on. This, I'm excited about this. And if you haven't talked to Terry Sutterfield, then you don't know how excited he is about this. And that's our trade-up event that's happening this Saturday. That's coming up. This event coincides beautifully with our five two essential trainings and putting these things into practice. If you weren't here last week to watch his awesome video, um, the trade-up event is about, it's not about us. And it's not about you. It's about us being able to reach out to people in our community. It's about helping Angel's Attic and those who are in need and helping get resources that they need in order to do ministry and minister to the people who really, really need extra help um, at the food pantry and, and clothing closet and things like that at Angel's Attic. And so the trade-up event, there's several different ways that you can get involved. So it's, you can be one of the traders that goes out with a loaf of bread to seeing what people are willing to donate and give to help out for this ministry and this program in our community, um, knocking on doors. You can also be somebody who trades, who's, you know, be thinking and praying, what do I have that I could trade as a donation to this program? Um, and maybe you can just be, you know, donate items. Maybe somebody doesn't come to your door where you say, I'm not going to be home Saturday morning, but I do have something I'd like to donate. Um, you can just donate that item. And then also you can even, you go, I don't really have something I want to donate, but I'd like to donate some funds towards the project. You can do that as well. And so Saturday morning, we'll have teams that are going to go out for the trade up um, with loaves of bread ready to see what God provides. So be ready for a knock on your door, whether it's your nice blender or great coffee maker or your car, you know. We'll accept all those kind of things, you know. Um, but to be prepared, how can I be a part of this program? And then 6 o'clock in the evening, we're going to have a fish fry. Okay, remember five loaves and two fish? There you go. I didn't come up with it. I'm not that smart. 
But no, to celebrate and have a fish fry. And there will be the auction at that time where we'll collect, you know, get to be able to get the funds to give to Angel's Attic. Um, So whether it's being a trader, going out, um, donating, we invite really everybody to come at 6 p.m. Friday night to take part in the auction and, and the celebration to hear how God moves through the different people and different things that are going on with this event. So we really ask, be involved right outside those doors. Terry is going to be there. Sign up to be a trader. Sign up for all different kinds of stuff. All right. So it just works well with these five two essentials. Last week, Adam started us off with the first three essentials. um, And it really looked at the second great commandment of Jesus and that idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And so Adam's focus last week was on the loving your neighbor. And he talked about servant leadership and courage and relational IQ, okay, and how those things work together in loving our neighbors well, valuing people, assuming respect, valuing people for who they are, and demonstrating value to them um, through those service. And then this week, we're going to be talking about the other two. And we don't do this very much, but we're going to focus on the second half of that command. We talk about loving our neighbors a lot, but the second half says what? Love your neighbor as yourself, all right? Love your neighbor as yourself. What that means is there's an assumption that of loving yourself, okay? And sometimes I think we just assume people love themselves, but the reality is a lot of people don't. A lot of people really don't love themselves. Sometimes it's because of something that's happened in the past. And sometimes it's because we're selfish. Because love is choosing to do what's best for somebody. Whatever that best may be. When I love my children, sometimes I do what is best is not what they want. All right? I think a lot of us have experienced that. What is best? Well, if I want to love myself well as God intends, what does that look like? What does that mean? And so our two essentials that we're going to look at today kind of focus on that self um, aspect of us. How do we love ourselves well? So the first one, let me ask you this. Who here has ever had to make a decision that was not what you wanted to do? It was hard. You didn't like it. But you had to make that decision because it was right anyway. Who all has experienced that? Yeah, I think most of us have. Um, Where this that, you know, I don't want to. It hurts, but it's just the right thing. Sometimes it happens in a hospital room. Sometimes it happens at home or at school. Um, Different contexts like that where it's a difficult decision. And that decision usually is based off of two different things. Number one is who you are. You have to make the hard decision because you're the parent. You have to make the difficult decision because you're the spouse. You have to make the decision because of who you are. And number two, in those crisis moments, we know that what feels good What we want to do is ignore it, but we can't. And so we base that decision off of what we value. We we have to ask that question. The right decision isn't comfortable, but it's the right because of 
what we value the most. Those difficult decisions center on those two things. And that's what we call self-leadership. Okay, that's what we mean by self-leadership. Self-leadership is creating rhythms and making decisions based on who you are and what you value. Okay, about five years ago, my wife and I had to make a decision. We packed up our five kids and we decided to go to Disney World. It was not exactly what I was excited about. It is not exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I could come up with all kinds of scenarios in my mind. Okay, five children. Okay, going to Disney World. You go, is there going to be a moment where we're all happy at one time? That's number one is what I'm wondering. And how much am I going to pay for this experience? You know, as a dad, I'm kind of going through, it's like, is this going to be worth it? But for us, we made this decision that we want to go. We want to experience this as a family. We want to create a memory for us to demonstrate to our kids that we value them, that we want this to be a good family moment. Um, and so we made that decision. As difficult as it was, um, it was a really good time. And it was a good time. It took way too many pictures. It was a great experience. So self-leadership um, is this idea of creating rhythms, making decisions, not based off of what I want, not based off of just kind of what feels good in the moment, but based off of who I am and what my values are. What if we lived that way and not just made decisions in crisis moments because of that? How would your life be different if every day, even the small decisions you made, or based off of who you are and what you value. How much money would you save? How much healthier would you be? How much healthier would your relationships be? If that's how you lived, and that was your default. So self-leadership is number one. Number two, um, let me ask another question. How many of you have ever heard that small interior voice whisper to you, don't do it? Don't do it. I know some of y'all wore that voice out, and so you don't really hear it anymore. Um, but that small voice that says, don't do it. But also the voice that says, you really should do this. You really should call that person. You really should step out. And then obey that voice. Second essential we're going to talk about is being spirit-led. Being spirit-led is a lot like that small interior voice that whispers, don't do it. It also says, you need to do this. And then following that voice, not just being aware of the voice, but actually doing what the voice says. That's what we're talking about when we talk about spirit-led and so what's interesting is, you know, like last week, servant leadership and courage and relational IQ, they all seem to fit. And then I looked at what we're going to preach about this week, and I went, thank you, Adam, because self-leadership and spirit-led. And I was like, those seem like opposite things. But the reality is, they 
are essential to work together. To be spirit-led is to make yourself available to create habits and rhythms in order to hear the Spirit's leading. And that means you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about yourself in order to make yourself available to the Spirit. So we're going to look at this tension, and we're going to continue looking at the story of Nehemiah. Last week, Adam talked about Nehemiah, the story, kind of how Nehemiah receives the bad news of how Jerusalem's in shambles, the wall is still um, all crumbled down. The people are in bad shape, not just security-wise, but things aren't well. And Nehemiah, his heart is broken um, and just in sorrow for this. And he looks to the opportunity, and God gives him this opportunity to go back to Jerusalem, does this amazing work through servant leadership, courage, and understanding the people and connecting. And in 52 days, amazing, 52 days, they rebuild the whole wall that goes around the city in order to bring security and stability to Jerusalem. Amazing story. And I think the, the real temptation is to think that it's Nehemiah's people skills, it's his management style, and all these things is why Nehemiah was successful. But I don't think that's true. That wasn't the main key of what made Nehemiah successful. And I think the key to understanding his success goes back to his initial response to the problem. When he heard the bad news, what was the first thing that he did? What did he start doing? That's our main question. So let's look at Nehemiah. We're going to look at chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. We're going to read Nehemiah's prayer. We're going to highlight a couple things that, that stand out in his prayer. It said, As soon as I heard these words, that's the bad news, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. We have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have not acted very corruptly against we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And this man, and you remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Okay, so Nehemiah receives the bad news of how bad things are in Jerusalem, okay, in Judea. 
and he's torn. And so his first thing, what does he do immediately? He gets on his knees and he prays. He gets on his knees and he prays. And a couple key things in his prayer is, number one, his awareness of who God is. His awareness of who God is and that God is the one that they can hope in. He starts his prayer by recognizing, you are the God, Lord God of heaven. You are the creator. You are the awesome and almighty one. But not just you're powerful, he says, but you are steadfast in your covenants and steadfast in your love. It says, you are great and mighty, but you are also good and you are loving. And I count on that. When he encounters this situation, he first, I know who my God is. And even though it's bad, I know you are good and I know you are powerful and I know that you love us. And the second thing is his awareness of himself and his family. He understands who he is, that it's not just God. He says, I know that we're a part of the people. We are a part of the people that you chose. We are the people of God and you, you are good. And you, are, you have been good to us. You have saved us in the past. And we believe you can do it again. He knows who he is. That because of that relationship with God and that covenant, I know I can trust in you and that awareness. And because of that truth, he has, number three, the awareness that God is the one that can get them back to wholeness and peace. That God is the one who can do this. And I think a mistake that we can make here is assume that Nehemiah prayed this prayer one time. And I think a lot of times we, we kind of make that assumption. We read this prayer and we think, man, these holy people, these guys and girls, you know, who are in the Bible, they prayed this prayer and God went, that's awesome. You're good. And he answers the prayer. One of the keys in this text is when he receives the bad news, it's the month of Chislev which would have been around November, okay, in the Persian calendar. The month that he actually gets to make this request to the Persian king is in the month of Nisan, which is about four months later. And in verse 6, notice what Nehemiah says. He says, Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. This was not a one-time prayer. Nehemiah spent four months praying this prayer every day until God finally gave him the opportunity. Every day, Nehemiah recognized and focused on who his God was, who his people was, who he was, and also what God was capable of doing. But he didn't pray for a day. He didn't pray for a week. For four months, Nehemiah had this rhythm of remembering, connecting to God, and praying, and waiting for God to give him the opportunity. For four months, connecting to God. Four months, solidifying his trust. For four months, believing 
stronger and stronger that God can do this. And finally, one day, when the king recognizes and he asks, Nehemiah, what's your problem? Still, even then, Nehemiah has to pray for courage. And he goes, here's my problem. Because Nehemiah spent time in prayer, and he connected to God, and he understood who God was. He understood who he was, and he understood what God could do. When the moment came and God presented the opportunity, Nehemiah was ready. And then he was able to step in. And from that point, the doors opened. And we talked last week how the king said, not just yes, but whatever you need, no problem. And he goes back, and this incredible work happens. 52 days, they rebuild the wall. I don't think we could do that today in modern society. 52 days, hand tools, hand stuff, people, thousands of people working together, and the wall is rebuilt. And we would be tempted, I, I know I'm tempted to think, you know, it's Nehemiah's management, his strategic planning, his skills, people skills, all these different things is what made it happen. But in chapter 6, we're told, not just the people of God, the surrounding enemies, the people who did not like the Israelites. What was their reaction when they saw the work that happened? In chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, says, so the wall was finished on 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived, they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The nations, the people, the people who didn't even believe in God. They didn't follow God. They understood. They saw that there was something greater happening amongst these people, greater that was happening, because it was God who was moving. God was providing, and God was helping them every step of the way. Sometimes we get trapped in this idea of it's our skills. We have to get better. We have to get smarter. And sometimes we just need to get on our knees. And we need to connect to our God. Remember who he is, who we are, and then wait for him to give us the opportunity. But you have to be ready for that opportunity. Self-leadership and being spirit-led isn't what magically happens to special or gifted people. I think sometimes we get in that trap but the reality, it's a healthy rhythm that leads you to becoming the person God meant for you to be. God wanted Nehemiah to become this great leader for the people of Israel. He had a great purpose for him. But it didn't start when he was before the king. It started when he was on his knees for four months. Praying and connecting. Having this daily rhythm of trusting and following God. And waiting for his timing. Everybody recognized that it was God moving through his people. So the question I would ask, how many people would recognize in your life that it is Jesus who is moving in you and through you to bless the people around you? 
Because people who have the good self-leadership and are being spirit-led should lead to people who go, there is something different about you. There is something different. You have a peace. You have a calm. Even in the midst of hard times, there is a peace and calm that doesn't make sense. Where does it come from? Self-leadership and spirit-led says it comes from I have a God. He is my God. I am his beloved child, and I trust in him, and he leads me. So you don't have to just be smart. A lot of times I think we, we're kind of like, well, you know, it's special people. You know, and some people would probably be like, Andy, but you don't know what I've done. Andy, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't, you don't understand. It's just, it's not possible. There's another man who probably felt a lot like that. His name was Peter. He was a follower of Jesus. One of the dedicated disciples. In the last night of Jesus, when they had the Lord's Supper, they, they were talking. Peter proclaimed boldly, I will never deny you. I will be with you to the very end. I will die with you. Okay? And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Never! Never, Lord. I would never do that. And so they go off. They go to the garden. And think of all the things that Jesus has taught, you know, through the last three years that he encountered. And they come and they start to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter draws his sword to kill the person who is arresting Jesus. He cuts his ear off. I don't think Peter was trying to cut his ear off. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, put that away. It is not our way. That is not my way. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he rebukes Peter. He heals the man and Peter puts it away and he, and he flees. And they lead Jesus away. Peter follows from a distance and three times he denies knowing Jesus. He denies him. Peter talk about filled with shame. Three days later, Jesus arose from the dead. The resurrection, Peter was excited. His Lord had risen from the dead. But I think Peter still lived in that shame. And he still felt unworthy. In John, the way he describes the story, in John chapter 21, Peter, he had encountered Jesus at least twice at this point. And Peter still... I think he doesn't have a clear vision of what he's going to do. And he goes back to fishing. He looks at some of the other disciples and says, I'm going to go fishing. This is not just a fishing trip. I, he's going back to fishing as his job. And he goes back and, and they're fishing. He fishes all night. They don't catch anything. And then somebody from the shore, and it's Jesus, calls out, said, how's it going? He said, terrible, didn't catch anything all night. Throw the net on the other side of your boat. There's only one other time that Peter can remember, and he does it. The net fills with fish. And Peter and, and the other disciples to go, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. 
Peter dives into the water with his clothes on. I mean, just goes at it. And Jesus has breakfast, and they eat on the shoreline. Peter loves Jesus, but he is not worthy. He's still filled with shame. And then, so after breakfast, this is what Jesus says to Peter. And I think it's so important for us to hear. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus understands where Peter is. He understands the shame that he feels. What has happened in the past? And Peter doesn't feel worthy. And Jesus comes to Peter and he asks the most important question. Above all things, he knows what he's done. He says, Peter, do you love me? That's the question you need to answer right now. Do you love me? And Peter wholeheartedly says, Lord, you know that I love you. He goes, feed my lambs. He does it again and does it again. What Jesus communicates to Peter is it doesn't matter what you've done. I don't love you for what you do. I love you for who you are. You are my child. You're God's beloved child. God does not love you for what you do or what's been done to you. He loves you for who you are. And that's what's most important. And he says, do you love me? That's the first step of self-leadership. Do you believe that? Do you know who you are? You are a beloved child of God. And if you believe that, and that is who you are, and you hold on tightly to that identity, he says, feed my sheep. Then value what I value. Just take that step. Value what I value. I know what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter. You start again. I love you. Do you love me? Let's do this together. And then he says the last thing, truly, truly. He said to Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show what kind of death he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. This is how self-leadership and spirit-led go together. Do you love him? That's the most important question. Do you know who you are? Do you know how beloved you are? Stay in that place every day. Do you know what I value? Then live your life according to those values. 
put those in the front of every decision you make. The world will tell you, do what makes you happy. They'll tell you, fight for your right to party. I mean, they'll tell you to fight for what you want. The world will say, you get to make the decisions. You get to make, you're in the driver's seat of your life. And that will make you happy. Jesus reminds us that we're not very good at making decisions for what's best for our life. So let's trust the one who loves us more than we love ourselves. And follow him. Follow his spirit. The most powerful spirit-led moment in my life was not a moment of preaching. It wasn't a moment of a revival service and whatnot. When I was in Ivory Coast, there was a church leader and a pastor who... Uh, you could say we butted heads is the nice way of putting it. Um, I would, if I was going to be honest, I would say he's a jerk, okay? And we just didn't work well together. We did a project, church planning project together, all kinds of conflict. And um, if you ask me, even today, I would tell you I was right, okay? If I'm honest, I still think I was right. Um, but because of that conflict... At the end of it, basically where we came was, I was like, well, you do your kingdom work over there. You work with Jesus over there. I'll work with Jesus over here. And we're good. And that's kind of what it was. And for several years, that's kind of how we functioned. And I was perfectly happy with that situation. So one day I was doing my quiet time. And I very purposely said, I want to really listen. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit today. Um, and as I was reading scripture and listening, there's a word that kept popping out. I'm like, what's going on? And as I thought and prayed about what does this mean, the word, all of a sudden, it clicked and I went, ah, oh, crap. Because I knew what I needed to do. I needed to make a phone call. That I did not want to make. I, I fought. I was like, we are fine just the way we are. I don't need to call Jean-Claude. But I knew I needed to call Jean-Claude. It was a hard phone call. I did not think it would go well. But I really felt it didn't matter if it goes well. You do what you need to do. And follow me. So I called Jean-Claude. And I confessed and I apologized for the bitterness that I harbored in my heart. And he responded beautifully. He also apologized. We weren't best friends, but that relationship was healed. Today, Jean-Claude heads up a church planning movement in Ivory Coast. And a lot of it has to do with because of that conversation. Because before then, he didn't really want to work with our mission. And after then, that was healed. And I never could have imagined that being the result. It had nothing to do with me. I did not want to talk to him. But the Spirit said, you need to call. And I had the courage to step and make a phone call. 
And that one phone call has had the biggest impacts that I could have made. That's what it means to be spirit-led. When you don't want to do it, and the small voice says to do something, you obey anyway. Because of who you are and who our God is. And what he values most. And when we do that as his children, when I do that, day by day I create habits and rhythms that I'm connecting with God through prayer. I'm connecting to God in scripture. And I'm doing that not just because it's a checklist, but I'm doing it because I want to know the God who loves me for who I am and not what I do. And I'm actively trying to grow in my awareness of his spirit. And not just the awareness, but when he says something, whether I like it or not, I take that step. And when we do that, what God can do in my life, in your life, in all of us collectively here in this place, it's amazing what he can do in our community. You may not want to go knock on doors for a trade-up event, If God is pushing you to go, you may not want to give something for the trade-up event. And it may be a phone call you need to make that you don't want to make that phone call, but you know you should. Whatever it is, the question is, what is your next step? What is your next step in self-leadership? What is your next step in being spirit-led? Don't let it pass. Take that opportunity. Your next step may be actually saying yes to Jesus. And that's that first step. Whatever it is, don't push it off. Don't brush it off. You need to be intentional. Because the truth is this. You can't be spirit-led without making yourself available. You can't be available without being intentional. You can't be spirit-led without being available, and you cannot make yourself available without being intentional. What is your next step? Don't wait. Take it and step out and follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how much you love us. Father, I thank you for your word that guides us. And you teach us what love is. I pray that as a family, as your beloved children, help us to grow in our self-leadership. To understand the best way we love ourselves is to make ourselves available, know who we are, but to follow your leading, to make those steps, those hard phone calls, those hard conversations, to take that one step of courage, to build in that rhythm. Maybe we're too busy, Lord, to do it and help us to take that hard step of making hard decisions, to put you before all. Whatever it is for each one of us, Lord, I pray that you would give us this moment of clarity and courage to take that step, to follow you. Because we know that you want to lead us to great things, to good things, 
not to harm us, but to bless us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.